بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حق حمده والصلاة والسلام على محمد رسوله وعبده وعلى آله وأصحابه من بعده السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to the beginning of guidance presented to you uh, by Miss Women and this is a continuation of our podcast series which we started a few months ago in uh, April uh, at the time when the lockdown started and alhamdulillah that's uh, been an interesting experience uh, definitely and something that I have benefited from a lot and I hope that some of the wisdom of Imam Ghazali uh, rahimahullah and also Al-Imam Al-Jawi who is our commentator uh, has been able to be uh, shared with you uh, inshallah in a way that perhaps you might not have been exposed to before and um, I thought that it would be good now to move over to an online class in order to have some more interaction and more engagement with the texts and with the students, the learners, the seekers of sacred knowledge, yourselves who are interested inshallah in engaging with it and participating with it uh, more on a more personal level rather than just listening to a lecture. So inshallah that's been the impetus for uh, wanting to start this particular format and for switching over. So um, my name is Omar Abdullah and I'm from Australia and I currently live in Abu Dhabi and uh, this is where we are today. So ahlan wa sahlan wa marhaban, welcome and thank you for joining us and inshallah let's uh, get into our presentation today. As we have done through our podcast series, we always begin our class with the blessed dua of Imam Haddad. May Allah have mercy on him. And this dua is for seeking knowledge and it's also to orientate us and to direct and guide our hearts towards what we are about to take in, inshallah, of sacred knowledge, of Quran, of Hadith, and inshallah to help us connect at the level of our hearts and not just to have something come in one ear and go out the other uh, but that rather should go in one ear and stay there and enable us to think about it and ponder and uh, think how we're going to act on this knowledge that we have been enabled by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be exposed to. So Bismillahirrahmanirrahim I'll read it in Arabic and you can read it yourself in Arabic or from the translation inshallah. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نويت تعلم والتعليم والتذكر والتذكير والنفع والانتفاع والإفادة والاستفادة والحث على تمسك بكتاب الله وسنة رسوله والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلالة على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وقربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى before we start, <coughs> there are just a couple of uh, class etiquettes that um, we need to go through. Uh, the first is please keep your screen and sound away from your men folk. Um, if possible, for some people that might be difficult, 
Um, but if you can, then uh, please do, uh, just to make it uh, more uh, comfortable for everybody, inshallah. And please enter the meeting with your registration name. So some people might enter with their name of their phone, such as Galaxy or iPhone or something like that. Uh, please put your name in so we can just be comfortable that everybody's here. And uh, if you click on your name in the list of participants, you would be able to change it there. So if you have come in with a number or a code or something other than the name with which you registered, then uh, please go there and change it if you can, inshallah. Um, also, it's part of the etiquettes of seeking sacred knowledge that a person be in a state of wudu, of purification, if possible. So it's definitely not a requirement, but it's something that is a good habit, a good practice to get into, because it also reminds you that you are engaging with something which is sacred and something which is worthy of reverence and respect. And also to cover your hair, because as we know that the angels lower their wings in a gathering where people are remembering Allah and seeking sacred knowledge is one of the highest forms of remembrance. And even though we are connecting virtually and scattered all over the world, Inshallah, we believe those angels are with us and that they are covering us with their wings, that they are making istighfar for us. And the angels like to be in a place where a woman's aura is covered. And we know that also from the story of Sayyidah Khadija, radiallahu anha, when uh, Jibreel alayhi salam was in the company of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and then Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, came in the room and her hair wasn't covered and then Jibril left. And so it's taken from our teachers that that is a sign uh, that the angels prefer to be in the company where women's hair is covered. And you will probably know from your own uh, families, your different cultures, and certainly from the older women who were never in the house except that their hair was covered. And this was the standard practice. So it's good to try and revive some of those traditions uh, because these traditions do tend to get lost. Uh, it's good to revive them. It's good to remember the angels and to know that that is a, a part of the etiquettes of seeking knowledge. And also it's a good thing to model to your children. So if they are seeing you take wudu and they say, why are you taking wudu? Haven't you just prayed? You can say, I'm renewing my wudu because I'm going to attend a class now. And so that shows them that what you're doing has uh, a great amount of value and is something to be revered. Anyway, as I said, it's uh, not compulsory at all, but it's good to um, fulfill those etiquettes, inshallah. And also, if you have any questions, inshallah, they'll be addressed at the end of the class. If you have something really burning and you desperately have to ask it, then go ahead. Otherwise, inshallah, we'll address all the questions at the end, inshallah. Uh, a small request we have with regards to just organizing and messaging and notifications is that um, people who are joining the class, that inshallah, if you can join the Telegram group, Telegram is an app like WhatsApp, and it's uh, very good for organizing. And inshallah, we do have a Facebook page and an Instagram page, but often people miss the messages if they're not logged on, they won't get them. 
and it's a bit big and difficult to handle. So we've uh, started a Miss Women Telegram group and inshallah all the notifications, changes, uploads of documents, anything uh, will be put in that group inshallah. So um, the links are there in the emails that we've sent. So please look for that and join the group. It's a private group. It's not available publicly. So if you search for it, you won't find it. You can only enter through that link or if somebody in the group invites you. And also if you have any contacts, oh, sorry, if you have any inquiries or anything at all, please don't hesitate to contact us at misswomen at gmail.com, inshallah. Okay, first of all, I just wanted to introduce this concept of misc women, and it still is a bit of a concept at the moment. But basically it comes from an idea for an organization, Dar Miskal Khitam. And Miskal Khitam is one of the names of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So calling it Darul Miskal Khitam is in a way linking it to Darul Mustafa, which of course is our main organization that we follow um, with our Sheikh Habib Omar Ibn Hafid, may Allah protect him, and the Shuyukh of the Ba'alawi and the Shuyukh of the Ahlu Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. Uh, so inshallah it's a way of connecting to that organization which we all benefit from immensely and may Allah preserve it and keep it strong. And the MISC part also is an acronym for Muslim Institute for Sacred Knowledge. And inshallah the sacred knowledge there can also mean secular knowledge because the time that we live in we are required to know both sacred and secular knowledge. The sacred knowledge is for textual competence so that we can understand our deen, so that we can understand our tradition and work out through that as generation after generation before us has done how to best be Muslim in the world. And the secular part is related to contextual competence because we live in a very fiercely or aggressively secular moment in history. And just as it's important for us to know our Islamic knowledge, we also need to have a good understanding of our contextual knowledge, uh, of our contextual situation. So what is the nature of the world that we're living in at the moment? What are the issues and how do we best navigate our way through? So inshallah, that's our intention, is to provide textual and contextual knowledge and the podcast for uh, the beginning of guidance is an attempt at um, the textual knowledge and our other podcast left or right the straight path please um, is a way of trying to address some of the contextual and contemporary issues that we're dealing with at the moment and inshallah i will be presenting some lecture series coming up with regards to some of the contextual issues uh, the first one, inshallah, will be a study on uh, feminism, well, gender, first of all, feminism, and going into some of those uh, really nasty issues that are around at the moment, and basically trying to get right into and work out what all these uh, pressures and ideas and concepts that are being forced upon society in general, and particularly amongst Muslim women, what they all are, where they come from, and where they're going so that inshallah we have a good and sound and clear understanding and we're able to navigate our way through that inshallah. But I'll definitely keep you posted as to when 
that might be um, maybe next month inshallah I'm looking at that so inshallah this is our two branches of textual and contextual competence okay first of all inshallah we're going to start with a couple of eyes here which are looking at the concept of hidayah of guidance so the first one bismillahirrahmanirrahim where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses, addresses the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he says إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَهْبَبْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِالْمُهْتَدِينَ Indeed, O Muhammad, you do not guide whom you like but Allah guides whom he wills and he is the most knowing of the rightly guided in Surah Al-Qasas, uh, Surah 28 56. So what this indicates to us is that hidayah is something that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Guidance is not something that you can give yourself or other people. It's not something you can will for yourself, but it is a gift. It's a light. It's something that is placed in your heart. And when a person realizes that they have been given this gift of hidayah, then it's up to them to act upon that. Because somebody might have it or might come to them and then they walk off and they leave it or they ignore it or they don't nurture it and cultivate it or give it its proper right um, when it is something that has been gifted to you. And it's different to Iman. Iman is something which actually is an intellectual concept, um, which is a really different way of looking at it compared to what we would be used to, particularly through the English language, because most of our religious language actually comes from Orientalist, 19th century Orientalist, who translated various Arabic words, or a lot actually of Arabic words, into English using language that comes from Christianity. So when we talk about Iman and we call it faith, then immediately we have a concept of faith being something which comes from the heart or that it's a choice. Or that I can say, well, I, I choose to be Muslim, for example, as though somehow I've put it in myself, in my heart, to have this um, belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the books and the angels and the messengers, etc. Whereas Iman is actually a, an intellectual concept, first of all, because it's when the person looks around them and starts to think that there must be a creator behind this world. When you look at the movement of the sun when, and the day and the night and when you look at the creation and how everything has a beginning and an ending and how there's constant change and when you think that there has to be a higher being that's capable of producing all these things, that doesn't start in your heart. That actually starts in your mind. And so Iman is defined as a tasdikul jazim, which is a very strong and, and unshaken and firm um, when we say belief there, we don't mean belief as in faith, but it's a, a it's tasdik, it's a, like siddiq, it's a state of knowing truthfully that what you are believing in and understanding is true and certain and that your certainty in that is firm. So that's different if we think about iman in that sense to hidayah because hidayah, guidance, is something which is cast into your heart and it is increased through acts which also are related to your iman. So the more acts of obedience you do, the more your iman will increase. 
And the opposite is true. If you do a lot of disobedience and sinful things, your iman will decrease and your the state of your heart is connected to that. But the hidayah, the desire in you to want to seek that path of knowing Allah is something that is put into your heart by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the second ayah here, um, the, the black part there highlighted is really the main point where the people of the Jannah waqalu, they say, Alhamdulillahilladhi hadana lihadha wa ma kunna linahtadiya lawla an hadana Allah. So praise be to Allah who has guided us to this and we would never have been guided if Allah had not guided us. And so it says in Ibn Kathir's tafsir, <coughs> excuse me, that the people of Jannah, when they get to Jannah and when they look at a doorway to the Jahannam, to the fire, that they say a praise to Allah who has guided us to this because their uh, guidance and their following guidance has landed them there. The ultimate abode for those people is Jannah. And so they know that Allah is the one who's taken them on that path and that a human being is not able to guide themselves if Allah had not guided him or her. So we ask Allah to increase us in guidance in Hidayah and we will have a look now at what Imam Ghazali means by when he calls his book the beginning of guidance. Can I just check is the sound and everything okay? Is everybody able to hear clearly? Yes, alhamdulillah. Okay, alhamdulillah. Right, so we're going to have a very brief overview of part one, which we uh, completed in the podcast series. And today, inshallah, we're going to start with uh, part two. So first of all, uh, very briefly, um, an overview. So Imam Ghazali, everybody would be familiar with him. He passed away in 505 Hijri or 1111 of the Christian era. So that's always easy dates to remember. And the Bidayat al-Hidayat, the beginning of guidance, was written after he wrote the Ihya Alum al-Din. So it was really towards the very end of his life. And how do we know that? Because throughout the book, Bidayat till he die, he references the Ihya and he tells the reader to go and look in the Ihya for more information um, or for an expansion on certain concepts. And what the beginning of guidance is, really it's a daily handbook of what we would call now self and time management. So these three words underneath in Arabic, Tarbiyah, Tadbir and Tartib, these are the three really fundamental concepts presented in the book because tarbiyah we often think of with children like raising children we talk about the the, the tarbiyah of the family and it certainly is the major word in that area but tarbiyah is also about self-discipline and so the book is obviously addressing people who are mukallaf those who are legally responsible and <coughs> it's about uh, teaching you how to have self-discipline. Tadbir is actually the word for management or the modern word for it is management and it has to do with how you organize your time and your resources and tarbiyah is the schedule or the program that you put in place in order to base your tarbiyah, your self-discipline, your actions and your tadbir, your management into a particular schedule which is your tarbiyah. 
So tartib is very important because if you don't have a schedule, if you don't have a way of thinking about your day and how you're going to spend your day, then you won't have any discipline and you certainly won't be able to manage your time and your efforts to achieve something. So, um, so those are our three sort of major concepts. And the way that that's manifested in the book it's through the first section on obedience, the second section on avoiding disobedience, and the third section on companionship, which Imam Ghazali added to the book because really the first two are what it's all about. It's about doing things and not doing things. So we're going to go into that in a moment, inshallah. And as for the companionship, he said in the book that he's added it in order to complete uh, the, the concepts because as Muslims, we don't live in a vacuum. We don't live on our own. We're always with other people, and Islam is a very social religion. So our obedience and our disobedience are really uh, tested, if you like, or also manifested with regards to our companionship and our mu'amala, our interaction and our transactions and our dealings with our Lord, subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in terms of following his sunnah, and of course with the creation with other people. So that makes up the third part of the book. And we need to ask ourselves, why did Imam Ghazali write this book? And I don't know if that's really a question that would get asked very often because Alhamdulillah he's made it quite clear that we can see these three different categories, but why? What's he actually um, intending here and who is he intending this book for? And first of all, he's intended it to test an aspiring student in his or her quest for sacred knowledge. And this is why this book is often taught in institutes and schools as the first book, because it really sets out for the person uh, on a path of knowledge, um, it sets out for them the really important things that they need to keep in mind before they start their journey. So he says, first of all, you need to get your intention right. And all the points on this page come from the book, from the introduction. And he says, and he asks, and he asks you to ask yourself, is your intention to seek sacred knowledge, to compete with others, to show off, to gain attention, to amass wealth and to outdo others? He says, or is it to seek guidance, hidayah? So, is it to further what has been put in your heart by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So when Allah puts that yearning in you to want to seek knowledge and to start to know him, which is marifah, and to start to gain that by walking this path of knowledge, so is your intention to seek in order to get the uh, fruit of that knowledge, which is guidance, or is it merely to accumulate and transmit knowledge, which is called rewire? And we'll just come to that second point uh, on rewire when we get to the end of the page because we can see how that would be contextualized now in our particular time. So is it really to seek guidance or are you just trying to get knowledge so you can, you know, quote a, an ayah here and drop a hadith there and, you know, mention some poetry lines or something to show that you're someone who's educated um, when really you've only learned that to show off and amass wealth and outdo others rather than seeking that path of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the first thing a person needs to ask themselves. 
And then he says, you should know that guidance is a fruit of knowledge. So when you seek a path of knowledge, what you will reap from that is guidance. So your path will be made more clear. Your understanding will be deeper and your experience of knowledge and of the world will be expanded and you'll be able to see things really as they are rather than what your ego would want to see or what your uh, whims, your hawa, your desires would want to see. But you actually begin to see the reality and to know deep in your heart that you are going to go back to your Lord. And so that you need to keep yourself with the tarbiyah, with the self-discipline, with the uh, tadbir, with the management of yourself and your time and on a particular tartib, on a schedule. And he says, you, you must know that guidance has a beginning, which is the outwardly bringing yourself into obedience, acts of obedience, and that its end is the inward training, so the training of the heart. And he says, you cannot reach the end without mastering the beginning. So there's no way that you can arrive at the inner essence of guidance without understanding its outward and a lot of people uh, want to get to the end quickly without realizing or without wanting to acknowledge that it's a journey and it's a part of life and that a person's uh, iman goes up and down and a person's feeling of closeness to Allah goes up and down or comes and goes and that we go through trials and we go through tribulations and it's the one who is the most steadfast, the one who has the most istikama, um, who is the one who is able to withstand the, the pressures and the issues and the trials of life and inshallah reach its inner essence. Um, but a lot of people want to skip that part and go straight to all the feel good stuff without realizing that those are gifts that come to you. They're not something that you can purchase. They're not a commodity. And they're not something that you can necessarily get from anybody who looks like they might be offering. So Imam Ghazali, what he does is he provides the beginning of guidance to test yourself and your heart. So this book is, as he says, the beginning. It's really the starting point where you're able to look at yourself and say, am I really ready for this? And if I am, what's my intention? So he says that if you find yourself inclining towards it, meaning this path that he's about to lay out for you in the book of obedience, avoiding disobedience, and acting upon that, then that is the beginning of guidance. And that in its outward form is outward taqwa, which we'll go into on the next page. And then he says that if you find yourself inclining towards it and wanting to act on it and acting upon it, then use that as a means to reach the end of guidance and inward taqwa. However, if you find yourself procrastinating, so when it comes to, oh, do I really have to pray five times? Oh, do I really have to do this? Oh, I can't be bothered taking wudu. Oh, do I have to wear hijab? Uh, things like that. So if you find yourself questioning and, and procrastinating in acting in accordance with what guidance requires, or if you feel lazy or overwhelmed, then you must know that your lower self or your nafs is seeking knowledge for the wrong reasons. So it might be that the nafs doesn't really want that guidance, but it just wants to know a little bit so that it can show off or so that it can 
perhaps uh, hold something over someone else or judge people or be sort of a local haram police or something like that. And if that's the case, then you should know that you're actually being disobedient to Allah and obedient to shaitan because shaitan is the one who will throw you this rope of deception and make you think that your seeking of knowledge is uh, pure and sound when actually it's just for the gratification of your lower self and your ego. And then Imam Ghazali says that the seeker of knowledge then is of three types. One who seeks knowledge as a provision in this life for the next for the sake of Allah and we ask Allah to make us of those. And Imam Ghazali uh, tells us to be of this type. Be one who seeks knowledge in order to benefit yourself and to uh, provide for yourself all that is good in this life so that inshallah you can sow in your uh, plot, in your harvest area, which is this lifetime, and then reap the reward, the crops, the benefit of that in the next life, inshallah, but sincerely for the sake of Allah. Or you might be one who seeks knowledge for status and wealth, and inshallah, if that's the case, then you'll know what you're doing. And he says that if that is the case and you feel that discomfort in your heart because you know you're doing it for the wrong reasons, then you should sort yourself out and make uh, your tawbah, repent, and because you never know when death will come, so you should try and fix yourself and your intention and seek knowledge and be of those in the first group. And he says, be very, very careful, Waylak. Uh, be, don't be the one who uses knowledge to amass fortune. Gather a large following and imitate scholars. For those who do that are deluded and lost. So when we talk about this first point at the top about um, people who seek knowledge to accumulate it and transmit it, so rewire there means to transmit knowledge, then we can see that not so much in the sphere of Islamic learning these days, but more in academia. And we see that what we would call now is a, a career, making a career out of Islamic knowledge. And a lot of people um, will seek knowledge in order to, as he says, to amass fortune. So to write papers, to be involved in this kind of knowledge production around Islam, because you'll find that in academia, a lot of what is produced has got nothing to do with, with the actual Islamic knowledge, say of fiqh or usul of fiqh, unless it is to critique those things in terms of a Western concept of social justice, or what is uh, right or wrong, or some type of gender critique, for example, of the fiqh. So you'll find that a lot gets written about Islam uh, and about sort of aspects of uh, history or things like that, and very little about the actual, uh, really what Islam is. And people will often do that and earn a great salary in a university, for example. And the goal through that knowledge is not necessarily to get hidayah or marifah to know Allah but rather to make a career out of this type of knowledge production. Now um, of course not all people do that but that's a danger and Imam Ghazali has warned the scholars of his time and the people of his time not to be of those people and the as I said the equivalent in our time would be those types of people. Um, who are going in to get a following, to have people read their things, go to conferences and things like that. 
and perhaps look like they're scholars of the dean, like, so they would imitate scholars, but in actual fact, they don't really have a proper grounding in the tradition. Um, certainly a lot of people in the non-Arabic speaking world do not have a good grasp of the Arabic language. And so there's a lot of imitation there, and this is exactly what Imam Ghazali is asking us to look at. What is your intention? Do you want to be somebody who, not just in academia, but for example, goes on TV and talks to people about Islam, but really doesn't know much about it, never studied, never memorized um, a small uh, treatise on fiqh, or never sat and studied Imam Nawawi's 40 hadith, or things like that. So some real basic and fundamental things. Never studied a small book on Aqeedah, but suddenly gets uh, put forward in the community as a spokesperson on Islam and gets a large following and pretends that they know things when really, if you tested their knowledge, you'd find that they knew very little at all. So as I say, this is not uh, my judgment on these people, but this is a contemporary example of what Imam Ghazali is asking the person who seeks knowledge to question in themselves. Where are you in this? Are you seeking this knowledge to know Allah or are you seeking this knowledge for something that you think will benefit you in the dunya? So he warns against that. So Imam Ghazali says, if you ask, what is the beginning of guidance in order to test myself and my intention for seeking knowledge? And he says, know that its beginning is outward taqwa, as uh, we said this word taqwa, and outwardly taqwa is, well, if you look in the, at the red line underneath, it says taqwa is obeying divine commands and avoiding divine prohibitions through outward and inward actions. So that's your definition of it. And it's manifested in three different areas. So at the top of the page, its beginning is outward, which is following the sharia and the tariqah, which is a path of purification and that its ending is inner taqwa, which is haqiqah. And haqiqah, or like the spiritual realities, are defined as spiritual secrets, understanding ultimate truths and realities, knowledge of inner states, and spiritual unveilings. So Al-Jawi, in his commentary in the earlier part of the book, he likens the sharia and the uh, tariqah and haqiqah, he says, that he says some of the scholars have likened the sharia to a ship or a boat and that the tariqa the path of spiritual purification is like the sea and that the haqiqa the divine realities are like pearls or like a pearl or pearls and he says that you cannot acquire those pearls except through the ocean going on the Bahar. And you can't get into the depths of the Bahar except for by means of a ship. So the Sharia is like the vehicle that will take you to where you want to go. And the Tariqah is the path that this vehicle is on. And the Haqiqah is the jewels that you will be able to dive into and acquire once you've got to that part of the journey where those jewels, those pearls can be found. And when we think about taqwa as this uh, 
concept as obeying divine commands and avoiding divine prohibitions through outward and inward actions, then this allows for the fullest, richest and most complete development and expression of your servanthood, which is to know and worship Allah. Because Allah says, Because I did not create the jinn and the humans except to worship me, which means to know me, and humanity. So when we manifest this concept of taqwa outwardly and inwardly, then we become the most human that we could ever be. So we actually begin to uh, purify and develop and be more human and closer to an angelic state than we are to the animal state because a person who has not purified themselves and who only uh, goes around looking for food and uh, clothes and uh, somebody to mate with then this is what animals do and so it's not suitable for a human being who has been bestowed with an incredible intellect and with a heart which has been made for knowing Allah to remain in such a state and so when taqwa is uh, taken on as a path and manifested, then the fullest humanity of a person can begin to develop. And that is really ultimately manifested in one's adornment with divine qualities and noble character. So that's what we're going for here. Okay. And there's a lot of tricks and uh, corners and deceptions and delusions along the way. But when we take this path seriously, of sharia and tariqah and haqiqah then inshallah that's the ultimate result and then we looked at the ayah at the beginning where the people of jannah said if it wasn't for the guidance of allah then we would not have been able to guide ourselves and they wouldn't have been in jannah so just as we mentioned what guidance is and so the beginning of guidance which is the outward taqwa of sharia and, and tariqah and its end point is haqiqah which is that spiritual development we need to also just mention what guidance is not. And it's not a political ideology or movement. It's not a social justice agenda. And it's not an identity marker. So these are the big issues that are affecting Muslims' concepts of themselves and their being in the world at the moment. This is the time that we live in. And so it's not about what political party you vote for or what movements and hashtags you follow and share. It's not anything to do with that. It's about you as an individual who's been created, who's had the, the ruh, where Allah has blown into you a portion of himself, which is your soul. It's for you to, through your fitra, through your, um, your natural disposition, to seek your Lord, your creator. And it's to find the path and the right way of following that guidance to him which is put into you. It's got absolutely nothing to do with what's going on out there in the major news outlets or on the ground or what this one and that one is saying in their various political parties and houses and their policies and all the rest of it. And it's also not a social justice agenda. It's got nothing to do with your race or your ethnicity or your gender or your class or your sexuality. Okay, nothing to do with that whatsoever. These are modern concepts which have been imposed on society and very aggressively uh, um, imposed onto uh, Muslim people. And so we need to know that it's quite separate from that. And it's not, not an identity marker. It doesn't define us 
to anybody else but it's got to do with the most intimate state of our heart with our Lord and that's not for other people to look at and judge likewise guidance is not a fashion beauty or makeup trend okay so by going on Instagram looking wonderful in some uh, fabulous new hijab fashion that's not guidance okay we're not talking about that outer appearance and showing people something that this is what Islam is that you know I'm guided because I can be a beautiful Muslim woman and put myself out there in the public and let everybody see how pious I am with my uh, lovely hijab and my 10 tons of makeup it's nothing to do with that okay these are delusions and, and tricks and traps on the way and it's not about how so-called beautiful you are as a Muslim woman and it's not about what you can do to your face with fillers and Botox and uh, fake this and fake that it's it's nothing to do with that okay so we have to realize that it that the outward manifestation of taqwa is not tied up with these concepts and also it's not a popularity contest for likes and subscribers so by going out there and sort of putting yourself saying that you know I'm guided and I can guide you as well um, that's a that's a trap that's a trick and for a person to do that they have to really really be checking their sincerity all the time and that's between them and Allah it's not something that other people can like or subscribe to okay so this is the outline of the book and in part one there in the gray we've covered that in our uh, podcast series so episodes 4 to 22 and it's this uh, middle part part two on avoiding acts of disobedience that inshallah we're going to begin looking at today and then inshallah bi'idhnillah we'll move over to part three the etiquette of companionship with the creator and creation so if you look at part one just briefly this is the tartib this is the schedule and imam ghazali lays out this daily schedule of uh, from when you wake up from sleep and those etiquettes and right through your purification um, the three types would do a and tayammum, then going to the mosque, um, dhikr that you'd make until sunrise, and how you should spend your time. Um, I'm just going to sneeze, just a moment, sorry. <laughs> I sneezed. Because <laughs> I don't want to sneeze into the thing. Okay, it didn't come. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it will so sorry about that I don't want to sneeze into the microphone um, so how you should spend your time from sunrise to midday and how you earn a living protect your religion how you prepare for the other prayers and the etiquette of sleep so basically when you wake up until you go to sleep again and then he goes into how to perform the prayer and then something about uh, leading the prayer and fo being a follower in the prayer the etiquette of Friday and the etiquette of fasting and as we said all the way through the the fiqh that's presented here is the shafi madhab uh, but also it's not complete so if you were didn't know anything other than that you'd really just have the bare bones and um, you really should go at least once a year and attend fiqh classes and renew your knowledge because fiqh is something that uh, can easily be forgotten so I would encourage you always to uh, to be seeking how to improve your knowledge of how to pray how to perform will do and you would be surprised that the more you attend the more you actually learn and it's never boring alhamdulillah so part two on avoiding acts of disobedience 
So the sins of the limbs, the outward acts of disobedience. So the seven limbs, the eyes, ears, tongue, stomach, private parts, hands and feet. And then there's a section on the sins of the heart, the inward state, which is envy, ostentation, conceit, arrogance and pride. So this is some of the uh, things that we've learned, the little benefits and jewels that we have picked up from the text so far. Um, these are available on the Instagram page and on the Facebook page. So for each episode, uh, we put out uh, two uh, little gems like this. So from the etiquettes of sleep, um, Imam Ujawi tells us in the commentary, let the remembrance of Allah Jalla Jalal, will be the first movement of your heart upon awakening as it is a sign of your love for him and reveals your inner state. So this is a type of uh, knowledge that we get from the commentary. And then in Allah subhanahu wa accepts the portion of your prayer in which your heart and mind are present and attentive of him. So there are reminders and there are things that we can benefit from um, deep in our hearts, inshallah. Imam Ghazali says that beneficial knowledge is that which increases you in your fear of Allah, yearning for the akhirah and knowledge of how to worship him. And it opens your insight into your defects, the scheming of shaitan and what spoils your worship. And most importantly, it reduces your yearning for this world. Um, this is uh, another comment here that these days we have such a low opinion of motherhood that we think Allah only values us if we are engaged in acts of formal worship, not if we are busy in the role of raising human beings, which is where he has put us. So this relates now to how you turn your entire life into an act of worship through your intention and through understanding the situation that you are in and making your life an act of worship. Okay, so let's move now to part two on avoiding outward acts of disobedience. And we'll just cover the introduction today and uh, pick up some interesting things that Imam Ujawi has uh, mentioned in the text. So the red is the actual text, the Bidayatul Hidayah, beginning of the guidance, and the English translation is adapted from other translations. Um, I don't have uh, permission to use uh, other people's PDFs or copies of their books, but if you uh, would like an English translation, then I uh, recommend the beginning of guidance, the White Thread Press. Uh, they have a good uh, translation, which I use uh, mostly. But this is adapted so that there aren't any um, copyright issues. So Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, this is our Qism al-Thani, the second section. I'lam anna shatran. Ahaduhuma tarku al-manahi wal-akharu fi'lu ta'at. So know that the deen is comprised of two parts. One of them is leaving what has been prohibited and the other is performing acts of obedience. So this is our, our core aspects of taqwa, which is performing and doing what Allah has ordered us to do and leaving what Allah has divinely prohibited us from doing. And Imam Ghazali says that وَالتَّرْكُ الْمَنَاهِ هُوَ الْأَشَّدِ فَإِنَّ طَاعَةِ يَقْدِرُ عَلَيْهَا كُلُّ أَحَدٍ so 
وَالْمُجَاهِدُ مَنْ جَاهَدَ هَوَا So he says that leaving what has been prohibited is far more difficult and serious. Indeed, everyone is capable of performing acts of obedience, but only the truthful are capable of leaving desires. Regarding that, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, The true immigrant is the one who leaves evil, and the true warrior is the one who battles with his passions. So let's see what Imam Jawi um, tells us about what Imam Ghazali means by these statements. And so he says, first of all, that um, the two parts, obviously, there's juz'ain, there's two, two sections. And of the statement here that tarku manahi huwal ashad. So leaving what has been prohibited is far more difficult and serious. So he says it's athqal. So this is the the adjectives or the des description for what he means by it's more difficult and more severe. He says it's heavier, it's athqal wa asab and more difficult than performing acts of obedience. And for that reason, then he says, uh, So he says, for that reason, it carries more reward than the performance of acts of obedience. And that when he says that anybody is able to perform acts of obedience, but only the truthful are capable of leaving desires, uh, what he means is that it's possible for people, regardless of their state, to pray or to fast. So for example, there will be Muslims who uh, drink alcohol regularly, uh, but they can still go and pray. They'll still go and pray Juma, or they'll still um, pray Tarawih, for example. They'll still fast in Ramadan. And that's easier for them to do that than it is to leave the consumption of alcohol and intoxicants or drugs, for example. Why? Because to leave those habits and those addictions is far more difficult than going and standing to pray, which is something that they might have been used to doing since they were children anyway. And because despite their acts of disobedience, they still do have Iman, they still do have knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they still are seeking what's good and true and real, but they are held back by their addiction or by their um, inability to leave the things which Allah has prohibited. Um, and so when Imam Ghazali says that only the truthful are capable of leaving desires, then Al-Jawi here tells us who the truthful are. So what's the definition of a Siddiqun? Who, who, who's a Siddiq? Okay, who's somebody who is able to truthfully um, and capably leave their desires? And he says that saadat nufusuhum. So he says they're the ones whose whose nufus, whose souls have risen sometimes by maraqi nadar fil hujaj wal ayat. So those who have experienced and risen up through the 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 sweetness and what has come to them of learning the hujaj, which is the proofs and the signs, the ayahs. So that's somebody who's immersed in sacred knowledge and who gets this feeling of elevation within themselves through knowing 
what the scholars have said through knowing this tradition. So when they go into an issue, for example, whether it be in Aqidah or Fiqh or Hadith or when they read a Hadith or when they read a commentary or what the scholars have said, then the one who is uh, Siddiq is the person whose heart actually gets raised up and purified and it starts to sing almost like it's a joy for that person to be involved in learning and they get that real taste of that sweetness of knowledge and then he says and other times oh and that's the discursive knowledge okay so that's a knowledge that we get through books and then he says and other times their souls are like in a, a mi'raj so they get raised up through purification and uh, and uh, riyadah which is uh, through practice and training riyadah is literally the word they use for sport um, but what it means here is the spiritual or the training of the limbs okay so when a person um, uh, is able to strive and struggle against their laziness and when they're able to get that joy out of worship so they push themselves and they strive to perform their farud on time and to perform the sunnah and to do all the extra things that they can to fast at least three days a month and to perform the sunnah fasting and to give charity when their lower self wants to hang on to their money but they'll still give something anyway so the siddiq is the one who has this experiential knowledge so sometimes they get closeness to allah through discursive knowledge and sometimes through um, experiential knowledge and this is the two types of knowledge and then he says that happens and that combines in them until they're able to observe things and speak about those things according to how they actually are and that's reality so the person who is able to leave their desires is the person who can follow both of those ways of being and to the point where they're able to actually see clearly what's going on and to tell people about things how they actually are and then uh, the hadith there where the Prophet says that the true immigrant is the one who leaves evil and the true warrior is the one who battles with his passions so the word that's used there is al-muhajir and hajara so muhajir is the, is the immigrant so you have the muhajirin so those muslims of the Sahaba that left Mecca and made their migration to Medina so it comes from that word there's a bit of discussion here scholarly discussion amongst the particular hadith um, and there are other rewires other narrations which are similar in meaning but not quite the same as what Imam Ghazali put here so there's a bit of talk about that and then um, Al-Jawi goes off on a bit of a tangent and he mentions here that the nafs the ego has soldiers and so he informs us that uh, what is going to work against you is letting loose these soldiers for your ego and he says there are 10 and he says the first is hirs which is overzealousness so if a person has this overzealousness and they're not able to abandon it then it's going to end up being a soldier and fighting for their nafs their ego and their lower self and it's going to be an impediment to the person who wants to overcome their lower self so that's what you need to weaken so he mentions 10 he says uh, i'll just translate them he says uh, overzealousness and desire stinginess um and rogba which is also desire so the first desire shahwa is more like your base desires 
like um, lustful desires. And then uh, rogba, the second uh, word there, which we would also in English call desire, is more things like that you desire worldly things. So you desire possessions and ornaments and wealth and fancy stuff. Um, another one is a zeg, which is a perversion. So there's a slight uh, leaning towards that which is uh, perverted or a bit uh, crooked. Then kaswa, uh, kaswa, which is like uh, callousness. And su al khuluk, which is bad character. Al amal, which means hope. But in this case, it's what they call um, high hopes or false hopes. So where you you hope for this and you hope for that, but you do absolutely nothing to try and attain that. So it's just like dreams, like, um, oh yeah, one day I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, but it's all just uh, wishful thinking. Toma, which is greed, and kasa, laziness. And then he goes on and he adds another list to that of the junud of the hawa, so the soldiers or the warriors, those aspects of a person's lower self, uh, which obviously need to be purified and which will fight for a person's whims. So we have ego, the nafs, and whims, and caprices, and also opinions. So what a person thinks about something without even really knowing for sure if it's true or not. Um, so he says that hasad is one of those. Atajabur, um, which is being domineering. Ajub, vanity, kibber, arrogance. Alghil, which is hatred. Al-Makr, scheming, waswasa, so availing yourself to the waswasa of shaitan. Mukharafa fil amr, so doing the opposite of what you're ordered to do, so being rebellious. Su'adhan, which is having a bad opinion of Allah and, and of his creation. Al-Jidal, which is argumentation. And he says that this has been provided by the scholar Al-Hamadani. So these are the, the things when we talk about um, what's more difficult for us to leave rather than the performance of acts of obedience which are easier that's actually what's being referred to here so all the actions that would emanate from a person coming from the basis of those uh, 20 characteristics that he's listed there 10 of them from the ego and the other 10 from a person's whims and caprices And then Imam Ghazali says, وَعَلَمْ أَنَّكَ إِنَّمَا تَعْصِي لَهَا بِجَوَارِحِكَ So, know that you disobey Allah with your limbs. وَإِنَّمَا هِيَ نِعْمَةٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكَ وَأَمَانَةٌ لَدَيْكَ And they are indeed a bounty from Allah and a trust that you possess. So your limbs, your body parts, uh, are the very aspects and parts of your physical reality that you disobey Allah with based on those 20 characteristics which are residing somewhere in your lower self and in your whims and caprices. So when you get motivated to act on those lower aspects of yourself, the action that comes out is obviously on your limbs. And so a person has to purify their limbs, okay, and, and get rid of that lowly aspect of themselves and go further still into their heart to get rid of the motivation or the thing that's driven them to want to act on that and inshallah that's how they will be of those who are truthful in their seeking of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so he says that um, uh, 
So he says that your use of Allah's bounty to disobey him is the height of ingratitude and your betrayal of the trust that Allah has bestowed upon you is the height of tyranny. And he says that your limbs are your body parts uh, uh, for which you have guardianship over. So we're getting a bit late on time, so I won't read all of it. We'll just go through the basic meaning. So pay attention to how you use them. And then he quotes from the hadith that each of you is a shepherd or a guardian and each of you is responsible for his flock, meaning that you're responsible for what you have guardianship over. And you might know the rest of the hadith. He says that you know, the imam or the man is responsible for his family and the wife's responsible for her husband's house. The slave is responsible for his master's wealth and that each of you is responsible for what you have guardianship over. And then he says that know that all your body parts will testify against you on the plains of judgment day with clear and eloquent speech that will disgrace you in front of the whole of creation. So a person needs to have fear of that because your life will be played back to you like a movie, but really, really fast. So every single person will stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their whole life will flash by them. And that life will be testified by your limbs and it will either disgrace you or not. And we ask Allah to make satr, to cover us and to just to cover the aspects of ourselves that we don't want to see another time and to make us recognize what they are and even if we don't know what they are, but we ask Allah to forgive us of those things and cover us so that we are not disgraced and to give us the ability to control ourselves and to control our limbs so that they don't speak against us on that day. And then there are two ayahs that Imam Ghazali mentions. The first one is Surah An-Nur, where he says, Bismillah, yawma tashhadu alayhim al-sinatuhum wa aydihim wa arjuluhum bima kanu ya'amalun on the day when their tongues, their hands and their feet will testify against them for what they used to do. And then the other one is from Surah Yasin, اليوم نختم على أفواههم وتكلمنا أيديهم وتشهد أرجلهم بما كانوا يكسبون. On this day we will seal their mouths and their hands will speak and their feet testify as to what they have earned. So Imam Ghazali uh, cautions and counsels us and he says protect your entire body from disobedience O destitute one, O miskin. Only those designated to enter the seven doors to the fire are those who disobeyed Allah with their seven limbs. The eye, the ear, the tongue, the stomach, the private parts, the hands and the foot. So we'll just mention uh, one or two points here from the commentary that Imam Dawi has made. And he says that this number seven here and the seven doors to the fire. So he mentions the seven levels and we seek refuge in Allah from them, from all of them. And the highest one is uh, closest to the bridge, to the sirat that everyone will cross over. And the lowest one is the one that the munafiqeen, that the hypocrites will be in. And we ask Allah to protect us, inshallah, from any such uh, punishment or outcome which we really would not be pleased with. So he mentions all those by name and he also mentions here 
eight doors. So the eight doors to Jannah. And so when one protects themselves and protects their seven limbs, and he says the eighth door is um, the intention. So when a person acts accordingly and in a good way with a good intention, inshallah, then that represents the eight doors to the Jannah. Inshallah, may Allah make us enter those doors without any hisab. Amin ya Rabb. And he also says at the end here, um, yeah, he says that you must uh, you must protect your entire body from disobedience, and the way that you do that is to have shukr, as Imam Zaid mentioned before. And the way that you show shukr for the bounty and the blessing and the trust that Allah has given you is to use your body parts in obedience to Him. So there are different levels of shukr. There are three different levels, but this is the first level that you use the blessing, the bounty, and the trust, inshallah, in the way that Allah has ordered you to and in the way that is most pleasing to him. So that what you earn from that, because every action that emanates from you, you earn. You either earn for yourself or you earn against yourself. And so we need to be very, very conscious of how we use our outer form, our outer limbs, and to make sure that to the best of our ability and according to the best of our knowledge that we are using them in the way that they have been designed and made for and that they are constantly something that we seek to benefit not just ourselves but other people by and Imam Adawi talks about the, the Tawteen um, which is being in the established in Ithar so being established in preferring others over yourself, itharul khair. And uh, this is a really important point because as we said, Islam is, and you know anyway, that Islam is a very social um, religion. It's a community religion. And so to use ourselves in the service of other people in khidmah is one of the highest actions that we can do. And those who deserve the, that best aspect of ourselves the most are actually our children and our husbands our parents and our families and relatives and those who are closest to us and so if we are tested by them and we are able to conduct ourselves outwardly and inwardly in the best of ways then inshallah we will have established ourselves with patience um, in this arena or this domain of uh, giving to others and benefiting others through ourselves and inshallah, we will not have fallen into following our shahwa into our lower selves. And we will be of those, inshallah, whose migration um, is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and those who are the true warriors who are able to fight against their lower selves. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of those people, to give us a deep understanding and ability to act upon what we know and to constantly increase us in knowledge, which is the worship of the heart and to increase us in good actions, the worship of our bodies, until the very day when we turn back and we go to him and we're able to stand there, inshallah, and go to paradise, inshallah, without any reckoning. Amin, ya Rabb. Okay, so we'll stop there.
and go over to some questions now inshallah so please unmute yourself or write in the chat oh i guess i better go to the chat so um before we go over to the chat um again please join the telegram group for this class and uh, we also have a google drive folder which um is available i think there was a link in the email or there will be another link and the arabic text of the bidayatul hidayah all with harakat is available and also the commentary of imam al-jawi and if you have any and also i'll put the slides up so for each class inshallah where there are powerpoint slides or any extra materials then they'll also go in that folder so inshallah you have access to that and please contact us again at misswomen at gmail.com for any inquiries. You can also check our Instagram and Facebook, inshallah. Oh, okay, so I'll fix that. May I know the commentary? Imam al-Jawi. Al-Jawi. He came from Jawa, uh, Java, and uh, he passed away about 1892, I believe, in Mecca. And he was a great commentator. And he wrote his tafsir. He wrote commentaries on uh, fiqh and um, aqida he has a number of books uh, very very great scholar alhamdulillah uh, you can get the google drive link i think it's in the email uh, but we can also put it on the telegram group uh, inshallah so it should be there okay inshallah so if that's it uh, then we will sign off and i thank you all very much for attending and uh, I look forward to some more interaction. Imam Ghazali, mashallah, there is so much to learn. There's no end to the ocean of that man's knowledge. And inshallah, we ask Allah to benefit us all by it, inshallah. And we'll just um, go to our last slide here. So Jazakumar Khair, thank you all so much. May Allah reward you. And may Allah accept our intentions, our efforts, and make us sincere and firm at the beginning and the end of this path of guidance. So may our test and our testing of ourselves as to our inclination and our reasons for wanting to seek sacred knowledge and to follow this path of guidance, uh, may we find in ourselves sincerity and truthfulness and a deep yearning and longing to know our Creator and to become the best people we can be through following this path because that's what islam is it's about making people the best people that they can be and inshallah we ask allah to uh, give us that guidance and to make us uh, sincere on that path of seeking its outward form of taqwa and also its inner form of taqwa and coming to know inshallah the divine realities and the spiritual secrets and to dive into the ocean and get to the place where we're able to collect those pearls and treasure those pearls and know that indeed we've taken the very best of the dunya and given the best of ourselves in this dunya and inshallah that we will be pleased with what we see on the day of judgment and we ask Allah to forgive us have mercy on us guide us and protect us our children our families our husbands and all the Muslims inshallah and to guide us through the practice of this out of the fitna out of the difficulties the trials and tribulations that we are in as individuals and communities and as an ummah and to be of those who truly say alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala sayyidina muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam subhanakallahumma bihamdik 
Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you so much. And